Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Camilla Dos Santos from the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories on this show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You got your PhD from State University of Campinas, Brazil in 2007. You then moved to the US where you did your postdoc at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory with Greg Hannon and then became assistant professor at the Can Cancer Center at Cold Spring Harbor. And since 2021, you are associate professor also at uh, Cold Spring Harbor. Um, a question I'd like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Uh, thank you, Stephen. I had great uh, high school uh, teachers um, that spurred my interest in biology and normal development. So it, it, it was it, it's fascinating to me how the body develops through puberty, through pregnancy, through aging. Um, and those questions led me to think about how the cells in each one of your or organs kind of organize cellular commitment, differentiation. And later on during my master's uh, program, I became more interested in understanding how gene expression regulation was intimately associated with cellular state throughout lineage commitment, cellular differentiation. And later on how epigenetic, uh, epigenetics in general regulate gene expression and cellular uh, differentiation. So when I started as a undergraduate at university, um, I never knew, I, I didn't know what, what a uh, academic career would be like, right? I mean, you start your university and the PhD is like ages away and then everything that comes after that is even further away. Uh, but when you started your undergrad studies, did you already know that you wanted to pursue an academic career? Um, I knew that I wanted to do research and... Um, My undergraduate degree is, I have two majors, one in biology and one in education. So from the education part, um, I, I was very interested in understanding the whole body system for, for, for students younger at the age. But from the biology part, the first uh, kind of discipline that really is very interesting to me were genetics and um, And, and, and plant development. And actually for a while, I thought that I wanted to pursue a research kind of um, career on understanding biodiversity across plants of the same species and how set, uh, uh, change in gene expression could be behind the biodiversity. Um, and then later on, I became involved more with microbiology, which kind of made the switch into um, me going to understand um, cellular behaviors and cellular differentiation from the mammalian perspective. Yeah, coming to your science uh, that centers around uh, memory epithelial cells and the role of epigenetic factors in development in breast cancer, um, I want to start in the year 2013. Um, there you were first author on a paper titled Molecular Hierarchy of Memory Differentiation Yields Refined Marks of Memory Stem Cells. Um, there you describe a method uh, to isolate a more precisely defined population of memory gland stem cells and also characterize those. 
Um, could you please give us a brief overview of memory gland development, uh, which cell types are involved, and how you improve the purification process of these cells? Uh, of course. So memory gland is a fascinating tissue. Um, it's uh, the main physiological stimuli that drives memory gland development in female is uh, pregnancy. So um, in terms of a whole developmental perspective, memory glands um, in female um, individuals, they start developing at the age of puberty in response to estrogen levels that allow, that activates gene expression, that activates cell proliferation and cellular commitment into two main lineages of breast cells, the luminal epithelial cells, which uh, can be divided in luminal uvular cells. Those are the milk producing cells. And in luminal ductal cells, those are the hormone sensing cells of the breast. And into the basal compartment, which are also known as myopithelial cells, which are the cells that would define the basal membrane around the ductal structures. And each one of those cells are um, to uh, directly or indirectly kind of modulated um, by, 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 by hormones that are present during um, pregnancy. No, before that, <laughs> during puberty. Uh, so they, they, they kind of establish the lineages through puberty, but during pregnancy, it's the, the stage that they really take on. And uh, in response to the stimuli that are present during pregnancy, engage on um, gene expression um, uh, activation, specifically of genes associated with milk, uh, milk production, engage in uh, rapid cell proliferation. During lactation, there is a reinforcement of the cells that are uh, uh, specifically associated with the milk production, and that's to support the offspring. And with winning of nursing, with stop, uh, assist, um, end of lactation, the memory gland that grows across that is called involution. And during that stage, all the milk producing cells are removed by the system. And then early, uh, uh, early stage progenitors and stem-like cells, they um, work their way to repopulate the gland with newly developed cells. Um, that's about the memory gland development. Um, if we talk about what, what was the rationale be behind going to the 2013 paper and um, identifying different markers to isolate um, all cells from the breast. So our, our deep, deep down, our goal was really to understand epigenetic regulation of gene expression through our lineage commitment. Um, and from that perspective, we felt that we needed first to characterize cell isolation processes so then we could be understanding gene expression regulation from very specific cell types. Um, and specifically from the, the stage that the cells are at an undifferentiated stem cell like stage and um, specifically because at that time there were no markers that would allow a prospective isolation of the cells. So we utilize a system um, that, that is based on the premise of cellular quiescence, which is a, uh, a, a cellular stage that is a hallmark of early progenitors and stem-like cells, which it, it speaks to the fact that those cells, they can go a long time without undergoing cellular divisions. And the system that we use was based on a controllable H2B GFP um, uh, histone transcript. 
uh, transgene. And the system uh, doxycycline treatment would stop the transgene expression. And therefore, um, the um, presence of GFP positive cells would be a readout for uh, cellular division. Uh, meaning that cells that divide faster would dilute it out their content of GFP proteins, whereas cells that divide slower would retain the GFP label for longer. We utilize this strategy to then uh, um, isolate the um, differentiated cells from the breast, as well the ones with long label retention, the ones that retain GFP the longest. We characterize the transcriptome of all those cells and use that differential um, um, comparison analysis to identify uh, specific transcription signatures of those long, retaining, long label retaining cells. And uh, with that strategy, we identify a cell surface marker that now one could use to prospectively isolate memory stem cells, which we characterize um, our strategy to uh, represent a advancement um, in terms of stem cell enrichment of the breast um, compared to the, uh, to the previous described ones, but also allows us to understand um, and identify epigenetic states and epigenetic regulators that were important uh, from a stem cell perspective and control um, memory gland development. Just for the sake of completeness, uh, what is this marker that you uh, identified? So the marker that described? We, yes, the marker that we identify is called CD1D. It's a glycoprotein um, that is expressed in um, murine cells, but also found in human cells. Um, it's it, it was initially described to be an antigen-presenting molecule, so it can be found at the surface of immune cells and other epithelial cells and play a role on communicating with the, with the immune system. Yeah, so you just mentioned that um, this purification uh, method for the stem cells was not done because you wanted to purify stem cells, but you wanted to characterize them epigenetically, right? <laughs> so um, you also did this experiment um, and looked at how pregnancy influences the mouse memory gland in an epigenetic way. So what did you find there and which factors uh, especially are involved in this process? Right, correctly. So again, uh, pregnancy is the key stimuli to drive differentiation and expansion of memory tissue. Um, so we were very interested to understand if there were any alterations to lineage commitment and the genes that were expressed by cells, not only during pregnancy, but more specifically after pregnancy was done. So we utilized this um, flow cytometry based system to isolate cells and then ask the question, does pregnancy and the uh, signals associated with being pregnant altered one of the most stable epigenetic markers of the cells, which was DNA methylation. And uh, in this study, we learned um, a few interesting, uh, we made a few interesting observations, such as the, we define a series of um, genomic regions that when lowly methylated can actually allow the identification of breast epithelial cells when, um, um, when mixed with other cell types. And we also then made observation that pregnancy signals themselves 
leads to uh, the resulting loss of DNA methylation of very specific genomic regions. Most of those genomic regions are putative enhancers, so they sit far away from promoter regions. The genes associated with these putative re uh, 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 enhancer regions were um, associated with milk production, so those are genes that um, from one way or the other sustain expression of proteins that would then uh, be turned that will be be composing the milk droplets. And what one of the uh, most interesting things that we found is that those regions associate those genes associated with loss of DNA methylation, they actually become activated early in the pregnancy stage in, res in response to re-exposure to pregnancy hormones. What does that mean is that those regions became unmethylated in the first pregnancy, but then in the second pregnancy were marking genes that were activated early on in the pregnancy development stage. And this is why- So basically- I'm sorry? So, bas so basically making it easier for being reactivated, right? Right, right. So they, they, they kind of, you know, uh, um, providing priming signals for those regions to be more rapidly activated in terms of gene expression when pregnancy hormones are back in the second pregnancy. And therefore, that's why we suggested it to be um, a, a response to um, a, a, an epigenetic memory of um, consecutive pregnancies. The cool part about this observation is that um, we can mimic this activation, uh, rapid activation of gene expression in response to exposure to pregnancy hormones using 3D organite cultures, really suggesting those that this epigenetic remodeling uh, that is brought by a first pregnancy cycle can be mimicked in ex vivo kind of uh, modeling systems, which um, from the perspective of translating our findings in to understand normal human breast development, it's very important. And makes it potentially easier to study the system. <laughs> Absolutely. And to, to uh, induce now manipulations that allows us to understand which epigenetic factors are the most important in controlling chromatin, um, uh, reorganization and accessibility, the transcription, the transcription factors that are associated with those regions of low DNA methylation content after pregnancy, um, and even then doing a, a cross-species comparison. I mean, are those the same transcription factors that a mouse and human controlling pregnancy-induced uh, mechanisms? Yeah, you then turn to memory gland stem cells and their self-renewal capacity. Uh, more specifically, you were looking at chromatin remodeling, as you already touched upon uh, shortly. Um, which factors influence chromatin remodeling in this process and which regions are affecting are affected here? Um, in, in, from the stem cell perspective, you mean? Yeah, so, so again, um, the, the, the field of understanding epigenetic regulators and normal breast development in breast cancer is very rich. Um, the contribution that we made to the field was to describe um, the a chromatin uh, remodeling protein that is part of their nerve complex. Uh, it's the main fat, the main uh, kind of core protein of the complex. The name of the protein is BBTF, which stands for BBT, Bromo Domain Transcription Factor, which actually it's not a transcription factor. It, it associates with uh, histone modifications via PHG and Bromo Domain. Um, 
and by that association, it controls uh, chromatin accessibility. What we learn is that uh, memory stem cells require um, that protein to keep actually to control chromatin accessibility actually in two fashions by keeping open a chromatin um, associated with genes that sustain self-renew um, at the same time that it keeps um, close that, that, that by default maintain close chromatin at regions that are associated with uh, lineage commitment, either going into a luminal compartment or a, a, a basal compartment epithelial uh, state. When we remove BBTF from stem cells, um, so those cells automatically engage in differentiation and by engaging programs of differentiation, activate now genes associated with um, decreased growth and decrease survival, and um, um, and therefore they uh, immaturely or precociously differentiate. Yeah, that's very um, interesting. Um, you then, um, and this was a publication that was published last year. Um, you investigated the connection of pregnancy and develop and the development of cancer of memory epithelial cells. Um, so, what is the connection between pregnancy and cancer, and what did you find there? Right. So, so pregnancy by its major role on controlling memory tissue development, you, you can also imagine that it has a big role on controlling the risk of breast cancer. In the way that iLab studies is how uh, early age of pregnancy actually can decrease the risk of breast cancer. That speaks for women that are pregnant around the age of 25 years old. And by being pregnant early in life, they decrease the risk to develop breast cancer throughout their lifespan, specifically at a premenopausal age, around 50 years old, where every woman is at risk to develop breast cancer. We can mimic the same kind of um, response to, to pregnancy and cancer prevention in rodents. So marine models and rats um, more specifically, models that had carcinogenic-induced memory gland tumor development um, are protected from developing those cancers in the event that they have been through a pregnancy cycle. And uh, from the molecular perspective, what's happening inside of the cells, we still do not understand why is that early-of-age pregnancy changed um, the ability of cells to turn into cancer. And we hypothesized based on our previous um, study that perhaps some of the pregnancy-induced epigenetic chains would alter the transcription output of oncogenes and therefore alter cancer development. Uh, so what we did here, we developed, uh, we, we picked one of the most well-known oncogenes, CIMIC, which is overexpressed in 50% of all uh, breast cancer subtypes, but more specifically is over 60% overexpressed in the basal kind of like, like breast cancers, which are the ones that lack hormone um, expression and tend to be more aggressive. So we are talking about a gene that has a relevance in terms of uh, breast uh, cancer pathophysiology. Uh, pathobiology too. Um, so we develop a mouse model that we could induce make overexpression um, using a uh, doxycycline uh, controllable system, which allows us not only to uh, map 
this transition from a normal epithelial state into an early malignant lesion epithelial state from a, a um, um, from a transcription, but also from a chromatin accessibility kind of perspective. Um, but also then in, in, in a setting that uh, uh, epithelial cells were either exposed or not to pregnancy hormones. Um, and what we learned from this, um, this study is that the, um, the, the pregnancy and the pregnancy um, induced epigenome kind of influence um, the activation of oncogene associated um, uh, signals by MIC in a way that MIC no longer can activate rapid proliferation uh, associated programs in post-pregnancy epithelial cells and instead is turning on oncogene induced senescence programs. And by inducing senescence, those cells do not turn into cancer. So that means MIC cannot bind to those uh, regions anymore or does it bind not directly to DNA but to another effector protein that then is maybe not there anymore? Right, right. So what we what we did, what we observed doing a gain of accessibility in response to MIC overexpression, but also using cut and run to map MIC active kind of um, uh, DNA occupancy in, in epithelial cells after pregnancy. We learned that there is a, a slightly decrease on the ability of MIC to associate with chromatin. And that that was based on a decreased uh, number of uh, binding uh, activity that we saw of MIC in post-pregnancy epithelial mm -hmm. cells using cutting pattern. So MIC is binding less efficiently to chromatin. Because of that, it's uh, you have a decrease on um, the strength of which chromatin become accessible, probably altering how other transcription factors that cooperate with MIC to induce oncogenesis. And, but, and, and in addition to that, MIC now is binding more um, consistently to areas, of, uh, to genes that are associated with senescence. So this is maybe not your work, but you mentioned that um, women that become pregnant before the age of 25 have this beneficial effect but does it then stop after 25 so would women with 26 are then right. <laughs> don't have this positive or does it damper off like uh, until a certain age or is it uh, just yeah that younger women have this beneficial effect great question great question and we are pursuing those questions too now because again we had to lay the foundation of what early pregnancy prevention does um and again we had a very um kind of molecular uh, oriented question here. And now, because we find some clues of what's happening, now we can apply to the other side of the story for uh, that speaks to the fact that pregnancy can also augment the risk of breast cancer. So with all women, independent of age, uh, that give birth, uh, they have within the five years after giving birth, an increase in the risk of developing breast cancer. And that has to do with the fact that during pregnancy, um, cells in the breast are growing very rapidly and any mutations that acquire in the middle of the way can lead to um, a, a, the establishment of the cancer. This is called parity-associated breast cancer. It tends to be very aggressive and the, it, 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 the, the rate of relapse for those kinds of cancers, meaning that women are treated 
and then 10 years later they are presented with metastatic disease is quite high so it's a problem that we're investigating as well um but women that are pregnant at later age, meaning after the age of 40, um, they also are at increased risk to develop breast cancer. Um, and the, the, the basis for this increased risk has to do with um, acquisition of mutations in breast cells throughout a lifespan. Um, and, and, and those could then be augmented by pregnancy signals itself. So okay. we are pursuing that question from both uh, Murine modeling and from uh, from from um, single molecule analysis utilizing single cell RNA seq and single cell attack seq um, in um, to understand the, the effect and organoid cultures as well to understand the effect of aging on cellular differentiation of breast cells how does that affect with the establishment of pregnancy induced epigenetic chains and how did that does that then associate with cancer development a very interesting um uh, yeah topics here um and very interesting uh, influences of uh, both um, age and, and also pregnancy mm -hmm. that, that's very interesting so just this year and we are recording this in September 2021, just <laughs> if somebody listens to that in five years. Um, you looked further into the heterogeneity of the developing memory gland using gene expression signatures. Um, what did you find there? So uh, uh, we, what that, that work kind of was based on, you know, identifying differential expressed genes across the lineages that we that, that we proposed in 2013 mm -hmm. and we felt that we could use that knowledge to really dig into cellular heterogeneity lineage commitment of um, urine in human breast tissue so here we utilize single cell rna seq um, strategies to profile not only memory epithelial cells from uh, mouse breast but also the um the cells that are that are in the breast that are not epithelial, which included fibroblast, immune cells, and epithelial cells, and by using those gene expressions, we were able to um, define that what we once called um, cell uh, alve alveolar cells, which are the one that make milk um, during pregnancy. We are not talking about one cellular stage; we're talking about cell a different cellular stages that change across the pregnancy signal and it changes across um, lactation of the memory gland and then they also change during the involution. So uh, it's really highlighting that what we define as a cell type is actually a composition of different cellular states um, that could be of valuable um, understanding specifically if we believe that um, cancers can be clonal so therefore identifying the cell of orange can allow us to better understand how to target the cells that are more predisposed to develop into cancer and how to better uh, then come up with um, very cell specific based uh, targeting strategies uh, but using that strategy allows us to have a hint into human breast right? we are very interested in development i'm very interested to understand the effects of pregnancy on breast um, from a human perspective as well. So age not only increases the risk, the risk of breast cancer, but also decreases milk output. So why are, is that women that are getting pregnant later in their life, um, they're having a hard time 
um, nursing their kids? And it, does that have any association with the increased risk of breast cancer? So we believe that understand normal biology of the breast is very important. And we, um, you, we utilized a um, um, cons uh, evolutionary conservative perspective here to identify cells that were present in both mouse and human um, tissue using single cell RNA-seq uh, approaches as well. Why we believe that that's important, again, in, in terms of cancer, we model cancer in animals. So it's important to understand that the, the cells that are giving rise to cancer in humans, they are also present in the mouse. Right? Um, mm -hmm. And from the perspective of biology in general too. And we, what we found with that study is that um, only the progenitors and their stem-like cells from human breast can be, um, we found kind of similar cells in the mouse breast. Really suggesting that um, when the cells become specialized, it's very uh, species kind of um, uh, uh, specific, which could be, have something to deal with the fact that, you know, animals, um, in the mouse models that we use, mouse system that we use, um, you have a large litter size than humans would. That is one of the speculations here. Um, we are now taking this forward into adopt, adopting this, um, this, this, this idea that some of the cells are different in the breast of mouse and humans to uh, couple that to organoid cultures in that we can induce organoid cells to produce milk in vitro, and then ask the question, are the cells that are producing milk uh, in the mouse the same that will be producing milk mm -hmm. in, in human tissue um, using this modeling system? So keywords that you mentioned along the way were like single cell uh, attack seek, uh, single cell RNA seek, um, and also cut and run. I think it was, it was not cut and yeah. tag, but it was cut and run. And then cut and run is, al uh, is also like a, an essay that uses like less cells as uh, traditional measures, methods like ChIP-seq. So is uh, that something you're working on, like single cell uh, things and in the connection of pregnancy to cancer? Yes, absolutely. So from uh, in, uh, in terms of we're, we're using a lot of single cell RNA-seq strategies to understand cellular um, diversity across animal, uh, animal strains and, and, and um, humans. Uh, of course, according to um, the effect of pregnancy. So understanding cellular heterogeneity under the umbrella of pregnancy here. And again, we are basing all of that with our ability to have proposed um, cell identity sig uh, expression signatures that now allows us to better characterize cell types. We are employing both single cell seq and single cell RNA-seq in our organoid models as well. Um, really to understand activation of enhancers uh, and gene expression um, from in response to pregnancy hormones in that setting. Uh, a cutting run, um, it doesn't go, we're, we are still not down to the single cell with our, how we are using cutting run, but it's allowing us to um, understand, in, for example, on the, on, the, on the perspective of MIC and how MIC um, has a decreased association with, uh, with DNA post-pregnancy epithelial cells, what other cofactors are there? Um, and is there a way that one could use that information to block weak activity 
systemically, for example, to prevent cancer. So um, you mentioned that you are looking at enhancer and also at the enhancer promoter interaction and things like that. Um, are you also thinking about the 3D structure of uh, the chromatin in this setting and uh, trying to use high C? That would be amazing. Um, we haven't figured out a way that we can do that um, using a limited number of cells, and, but more specifically, uh, retaining this cellular identity that is very important. So all the work that we have done so far, we have shown that different cells in the breast respond differently to some extent to the signals of pregnancy, how they modulate DNA methylation, how they control transcription factor occupancy. And I think that that was very important because um, you know, if we, are have, we, if we were doing that from a general breast, let's just you know, get all the cells in the breast and do it, perhaps some of the signal would not be there. So it's, I, I, you know, the, 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 the three-dimensional um, question is something that we have been thinking about a lot. We haven't been able to do it yet, um, but again, it, this is something that is on our mind. Okay, yeah. Um, to finish off this interview, I have two more uh, rather general questions. Um, the first one, uh, did you at one point of your careers face the situation that you have reached a dead end or did not know how to proceed the questions you wanted to answer? Yes. So um, a lot of the mouse models that we have available to understand breast cancer development and have improved our vision of how we can model cancer development animals to yield questions that are benefit for breast cancer patients. They rely on promoter regions that are specific to the breast tissue. So you don't have other cancers growing in the mouse. But unfortunately, uh, the majority of those uh, models, pregnancy signals actually enhance those promoter regions to induce cancer. So when we start pursuing the question, does pregnancy um, reduce the risk of breast cancer in animals um, using oncogene that is relevant to breast cancer disease. And can, it, we wanted to pursue that from a very molecular perspective. We could not use those models because then pregnancy would be a confounding kind of uh, effect on driving epigenetic chains, but also activation of the transgene. And we tried, we tried quite hard. And I felt that for a while we were looking for like a needle in a haystack. The chains uh, were, uh, this, the, the magnitude of the change that we we're looking at were very, very minimal. So, uh, and we tried that for a while and to the point that we we're like, we will need to develop our own models. So for example, we describe, we, we characterize a model of mic overexpression that does not rely on breast specific pregnancy induced promoters that was our publication last year. And uh, now we also have a, a model um, of uh, BRCA knockout, indu and, uh, induced mo model of BRCA knockout that we show that pregnancy prevents the, the, the uh, onset of cancers on those animals too. Um, and, and it was a system that we were not, that, that we would not be able to address this question before because the most, the classical model of BRCA knockout that we have available actually relies on um, breast specific promoter regions that are enhanced by pregnancy.
So that was, I would say, the biggest challenge. <laughs> so in the last 36 minutes, uh, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Can you maybe give a short summary about your maybe most important finding or something that we might have missed in this interview? I, so I, I would say that collectively, the, uh, our approach on understanding how pregnancy remodels the epigenome of breast cells, how that controls the reactivation of genes in response to pregnancy hormones, have allowed us now to establish questions that are associated with aging, um, tissue heterogeneity, um, evolutionary conservation of cellular states, but also cancer development. And those are all topics that we are pursuing. And it has shed light in non-epithelial autonomous kind of signals that make that play an important role, not only to keep breast tissue health um, at a homeostatic state, but also um, to that, that collectively with the epigenetic change that we see induced by pregnancy and epithelial cells um, prevent cancer development. I think that's a good point to end this interview. Thank you, Camilla, for your time and for being on this show. Thank you, Sidney. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.